on Two Girls, One Podcast. Jen reveals she doesn't have a twin brother. She is her twin brother. Allie unplugs the internet and casually forgets to plug it back in. Or did she? Find out what happens next on tonight's thrilling episode. Also, we finally learn what the hell Bitcoin actually is. And now here are the hosts who buy all their cryptocurrency used from Craigslist. Alison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula. Hello, everybody. I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Allie and I are performers. We're podcast hosts, as you know, because we're here. But back in the day, we used to have a live comedy show called Blogologues where we used the internet as our script. We got really interested in internet communities and phenomena. We had a web series called Two Girls, One Show where we interviewed the people behind the posts and went on these fun adventures with them. And now here we are with this podcast, Two Girls, One Podcast with The Daily Dot. And we're talking to people, uh, the faces behind the internet communities and phenomena. And we have our producer here as well. Hello, Matthew. Hello. Cue the spooky music. Today we are getting a little, we're getting into the cryptic land of cryptocurrency. That That's was right. quite the transition. I was like, <laughs> what's she going to do with that? But she did it. She did it. So Ellie, I know you've been, you know, you're investing in some of this, but it's pretty foreign for me. So today's episode it's going to be foreign for me too. I'm just <laughs> kind of like, let's see what happens. Yeah. It's so volatile. It's a lot of it's still being figured out as we go. Uh, so today we're actually going to be talking to uh, the editor of a podcast at Coindesk, Adam B. Levine, and he will be here kind of giving us a primer on cryptocurrency, how it relates to GameStop, if in fact it does. And uh, also just talking about community behind it and the future of it. And basically, will the world be be rewritten in this decentralized way mm. and what is the blockchain <laughs> that's that's, uh, <laughs> that's what makes you the just, spooky music <laughs> yeah and <laughs> after, the, after the blockchain <laughs> we will be talking about the cock chain which is my dating life um <laughs> So I'm excited. Stay tuned for that. You know, you're gonna break that one down for us. Yeah, because I, you know, it's an it's a individualized, distributed ledger of the cocks <laughs> that I have seen. Right. No one life. person owns the cock chain. Everyone agrees to participate, and right. uh, everyone's tracked, yeah. and it's fine. And right. it helps you trace each individual cock back to its owner, mm-hmm. in case you ever get confused. By the number of cocks that you've seen, you can check with the cock chain. Okay, actually, all right, I'm clearly working this out as I'm this talking. Is brilliant. There this are is so many great... anonymous dick pics out there. That's what I was going to say. That's that what I was need like, to be traced. New business idea, honestly. Okay, here's the new business idea. You send, you get an unsolicited dick pic. Solicited dick pics are a-okay, right? You get an unsolicited dick pic, you put it in the cock chain, the cock chain finds the cock for you through the technology of the cock chain 
And then you can find out, you know, is that even that dude's cock or did he find that cock off Google mm-hmm. Images? Right. And, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but or maybe it was do? anonymous and you yeah. find the identity. A lot of people like to airdrop cocks on the New York City subway just to fuck with people. <laughs> so I think there's a lot <laughs> That's a of... Thing? That, yeah, I didn't that's know that a was thing. a thing. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, wow. so if people have their airdrop on, you might just like randomly get a dick pop up, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Kudos, except for when that's the children how that works. receive it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't have Apple products. Like literally you just open, you just say to your phone, okay, anyone around me can just send it in, no so password. So some people are, that you have it set, like I can receive only from my contacts, uh-huh. yeah. et cetera. Okay. But some people are like, they have their settings default to like anyone. So then if someone on the subway airdrops a dick pic. So I'm on the subway and I'm looking and I'm like, ooh, this phone is open. I love the idea though of like 30 people in the car getting it at the same time. To be honest, I've only heard about this. I've never, actually, I think I saw it happen to my friend, but I never saw like a whole subway car at once go, oh, which would be amazing (laughs) because like that's the real definition of community right there. And that's what this podcast is all about. Bringing people together. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. if you would like to invest in my cock chain, Mm -hmm. um, it's really going to help identify dicks and their owners. And I think that's a service that we could all use. Honestly, I, uh, and I am speaking for everyone here, mm-hmm. I would much rather get a dick pop on my phone than the people who come on the subway and go, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Showtime. And then they start breakdancing, showtime. <laughs> well, showtime. They're, they're very talented, but yeah. very talented, but I'm just trying to get to work. Okay. If you've never experienced this before, you have like feet and backpacks flying within like a half an inch of your face. I mean, otherwise it's like <laughs> awesome, but it's, it's kind awesome. of terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd rather have Showtime still. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, both for their own form of entertainment, you know. But I mean, the cock chain can also be used, like, maybe there's a dude who doesn't realize his dick is being passed around the subway, and he would like to know. And perhaps he should retain that data. You know, that sh- it should be known that that's his dick if maybe people want to pay him for that dick. You Likeness know, I'm just rights. looking out for bros and their dicks, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So well, on that and- note... <laughs> yeah, and, and as you guys know, um, to buy a subscription with Cockchain, um, as we all know, I've said it many times, you will have to pay in Bitcoin. So um, <laughs> that's how that works. More on that later. Uh, <laughs> Synergy. These all these that's platforms right. work together. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's it's just a fabulous system that puts power in the hands of the people. <laughs> Put, puts cocks in the hands of the people. Sorry. <laughs> So Matt, what trivia do you got for us today on All cryptocurrency right. and the blockchain? I've got some, got some fun uh, crypto trivia today. Uh, not your usual question. I'm just going to rattle off a big old list here of uh, weird, bizarre cryptocurrencies. Some of these are real, uh, actual things you can buy and trade and participate in, and some of them I just made up. You're going to have to guess for each one. Is it real or is it fake? At the end of the list, we're going to tally up the most points. And whoever wins gets one Litecoin, Ethereum. <laughs> I don't know. What, and I what don't do you want get? Litecoin. You don't want it's, that? I'll, I'll take is it some more others. Than, is it more than three choices? There are eight here. You just notes. have to say, okay. yes, it's real oh, or no it, is, no, it is fake. I don't Number know, one. but here we are. <laughs> Mooncoin. Mooncoin, a cryptocurrency and blockchain network where the total coin supply is limited based on the average distance from the Earth to the moon. Is that real or did I make it up? Fake. Fake. They both say fake. 
Acoin, spelled A-K-O-I-N, a cryptocurrency launched by the pop singer Akon. <laughs> true. I'm just true. I'm gonna go. With I don't true. even. I've never even heard of that pop singer. You could have made the whole thing up. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm going with true. Okay. Next one. Dentacoin, a blockchain and digital currency, exclusively for dentists. False. Uh, true. It's ridiculous, but why not? Ali says false. Jen says true. I'm, I'm making my notes here. Next one. Kodak Coin. An image-based token used to manage digital image rights and pay photographers for their image uses. Whoa! That's I cool. like that you might have made that up, but I'm gonna I'm I'm also gonna go with true. I'll go with true okay. as well. Okay. Two for true. Whopper coin, a cryptocurrency used only for buying Burger King Whoppers in Russia. True. False. Here's a good one. And, and Ali probably knows the answer. Bitcoin, the first Jewish crypto token made by Jews for Jews, which includes a payment system, a loyalty program, a marketplace, a wallet, and an advertising platform where 10% of all the coins in the system are donated to Jewish charities. True or false? <laughs> false, but also if it's true, oh boy. <laughs> oh, no. oh no, that's not go good for the people, well. really. That's not good. <laughs> All right, here's a fun one. Spank Chain, a blockchain infrastructure platform for secure anonymous porn payments. Yeah, is the, so the Spank Chain is related to the Spank Bank. Yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, it's gotta be true. <laughs> gotta be true. Yes, true. True and true. And finally, the Fuck Token... Fuck is, uh, of course, an acronym for finally usable crypto karma, which people can use to give a fuck when people post something good on Reddit or give no fucks, of course, when the posts are bad. That feels like something some techie people in a room would be like, that's a great idea. So I'll go with true. <laughs> Reddit has some crazy shit like that. So yeah, I'm going to go with true, even though I don't quite okay. understand it, but I'm going to go with true. All right. Here's the deal. All of these are true and real coins. What? I made none of them up. What? Acon? Matthew, that was really well played. <laughs> it was really well played, although I'm really upset about <laughs> the juice. <laughs> this is how anti-Semitic conspiracy theories get started. Do we own the banks? Do we? Uh, wow. Okay. That even I respected that trivia. That yeah. I, I have been had. <laughs> but hopefully you had, you had fun along the way. We did. I and had, we learned something. I did. I had fun and I learned and I cried. I laughed. I cried. You know. So I think here I'm going to tally up the points. One, two, three, four, five for Jen. One, two, three, four for Allie. Jen is the winner of one beautiful shiny light that, coin. That was unexpected. I have no idea what to do with it. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> You should accept that. Who knows? That could end up being a lot. Could you imagine if I gave you a Litecoin and in 50 years you were a billionaire? Wow. You just told her that you were giving her one and that's legally binding. <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you. I respect that you own this currency. I don't even know what to type into Google to buy to start <laughs> buying a coin. Like, what ex you're on an exchange? Like, Let how me do tell you, know you if you're giving Jen one Litecoin, you actually owe her quite a bit of money. Like, <laughs> I think, I think because 
I only own point one of a Litecoin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm sure I, I said the total wrong thing. Hold um, to it, Matt. <laughs> you should hold them to it. Hold them to it. I owe you fifty thousand dollars. Man, we upgraded from Trader Joe's gift cards real quick here with trivia. <laughs> wow. On that note, we should probably take it to an ad. We'd like to thank the following people who donate at the 0.001 Bitcoin or more level. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for investing in us, Chris Harrison. Jerry Duran. Jessica Fox. Melissa Elliott. James Dozier. Deborah Duberpants. Kathy Phillips. William. And Matthew Scott. And you too can become a supporter at the 0.001 Bitcoin or more level at patreon.com slash 2G1P. That's $10 if you're bad at math. Advertisement entitled Charge Up and J-O-38 Houston From the number one website that taught me what J-O stands for Craigslist The crystal I wear around my neck contains an essence that gets recharged when I jack it with a bro who also has a crystal. It gives me confidence at work, home, social situations, etc. Nobody knows it's a J.O. crystal but me and my bros. I have seen it glow white while jerking it with a bud. That's how I know it's real. You could come over for as long as you want, but I need a picture of you, preferably wearing a crystal, before I waste my time. Okay, guys, yesterday I went to a outdoor restaurant here in L.A., and there was a crystal on every table. Was <laughs> it a jerk-off crystal? Story. I don't Could've know. Been. I don't know. Could have been. It's almost like it wasn't like a centerpiece, but like, what's the word for it? It's like this little. It was like a little metal structure with a crystal on top, and every single table had one. That's a centerpiece right there. <sighs> I don't know. It was yeah. small. It was almost like a. Might paper. have been able to take it with you. Yeah. Well, I did. No, I'm just kidding. Let me know, let me know how jerking off goes. <laughs> Honestly, great. It's been great, and I've been using the cock chain. Uh, <laughs> wait, I well, just um, realized how yeah. relevant this ad was because we came up with the cock chain business idea. I and know, then we have I the know. jerk off crystals. This is all going to be incorporated. This is this Synergy. is all this big, coming big together. Big bucks, big bucks in this business. Well, friends, we are super excited to have our guest with us now. Please welcome to the show Adam B. Levine, the editor of Podcast at CoinDesk. Welcome, Adam. Thank you, Jen. How are you today? <laughs> Doing well. How are you? I am pretty good. It's a good day. It's a Monday. Cool. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> okay, Adam, I own Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and the other day I bought some Filecoin, and I just wanted to know what you thought about my investments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what we're doing? <laughs> is, that okay, a, okay. is that a problem? Yeah. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. So my, okay, so I'll have to do my normal caveats, not investment advice, anything like that. I'm just some schlub on the internet. Uh, you know, I, th- I think that's good. All the projects you mentioned are projects that I've heard of. Uh, you know, you mentioned the two largest projects that are out there, which is Bitcoin as the number one and Ethereum as the number two. And then uh, Litecoin, I understand why that's in there. Everyone Honestly, has always man, said Litecoin's that's Litecoin's the- not doing well. You know, I bought this all in 2018. Litecoin's gone down. 
But I heard that Filecoin might do well. You know, can you tell Jen and Jen and I what we need to buy now? Like, what's gonna be the next <laughs> Bitcoin? What's worth like a penny? We buy it now. We're like billionaires in ten years. GameStop. I, I yeah right. I'm at a GameStop. You know, it's a little late for that. <laughs> It's hard to give advice about this stuff. Like, I, okay, so I, I've been in the space since 2011. I'm and not I, asking for advice. I'm asking for decisions, okay? okay? I need to know what to do here. All right, I'll let you talk. I'll yeah. let you talk. <laughs> I like Bitcoin. I like Ether, I like Ether which is uh, the Ethereum token that you have. And uh, Filecoin, like, like you said, like is an interesting project. It's very well funded. It's trying to solve a different problem than the other two. And it could be good. Uh, we just won't talk about Litecoin. Yeah, no, it's dead to me. I'm raining Allie in now and uh, <laughs> let you know that she is campaigning against Matt to call this episode. What the fuck is crypto? <laughs> so, Man, I that was your campaign. I, I got this. All right. I'm OK. With it. Okay. So, Adam, we did want to ask you what the F is cryptocurrency for the people out there who are just kind of, you know, still not 100 percent sure. And also just, you know, how does blockchain work? What the fuck? <laughs> So, so, okay, so that's a totally fair question. Let's start with the blockchain part of this, right? Because cryptocurrency is something that you can do once you have a blockchain. But as you said, what the fuck is blockchain, right? Okay, when you look at the stuff that you own in real life and you look at the stuff that you own the, on the internet, there's a difference between these things. In real life, if you like, you know, buy a CD, you know, 20 years ago, right, and it has music on it, then you not only can use that to listen to the music on it, but it you can use it anywhere, right? You can lend it to a friend. You can go to somebody else's house and put it in their CD player and use it. And if you compare that to how like music or really anything that you own on the internet works, it doesn't work like that. Most of the time, you're buying something from you know Amazon Music, and you can play it through Amazon services. And although you are paying the same amount of money for it that you would for that physical CD, there's a, a, a kind of intense limit to what you can do with it because you don't actually own it. You have purchased the right to use it through one particular service or service provider, right? So if you own something on Amazon Music, you don't own it on Apple Music. And if you try to listen to it on Apple Music, they're going to be like, hey, what are you doing? You don't own this. You have to buy it from us. So like with, with that, that difference in mind, right, between real life where if you own something, you just own it versus the internet where if you own something, you've, you've you know, paid somebody to give it to you through their specific channels, whatever those are. This is where blockchain comes in. Before blockchain, this is the way it had to be. You, you couldn't have a real concept of ownership on the internet because Apple and Amazon and every other provider out there uses a different kind of system from each other, right? They're incompatible. So each one are these like little, they call them walled gardens, right? So little sort of areas that are very nice unto themselves, but there's no connection between what Amazon is doing and what Apple is doing or any of the 10,000 other providers that are out there. So what blockchains are at their kind of deepest level is a better way to track who owns what on the internet, right? So <clears throat> instead of so, so imagine a future world where you're tracking who owns music on the internet, uh, but through one of these blockchains. What that means is that uh, when you buy something from Amazon, Amazon is recording it 
to a big giant list of who owns what stuff, which is we, what we call a blockchain, right? And and then they can they've put this information into the blockchain, and now you own whatever music is attached to that. And when you go over to Apple's uh, service, then they also look at that same blockchain and they say, okay, well, we can see that Ali already owns this song, so let's just let her listen to it because she's already paid for it, right? So blockchains create this neutral layer, this neutral kind of technology that's basically just a list of who owns what stuff. And once you have a list of who owns what stuff. Well, then you can change who owns what stuff. The person, you know, you own this particular song. You say, I'm going to actually give this to, uh, I'm going to give this to Jen, right? And now the blockchain record that both Amazon is paying attention to and Apple is paying attention to, it sees, oh, okay, well, Ali used to own this song, but now Jen does. And we can see that because here's the time at which that transfer happened. So we won't give uh, Ali access and we will give Jen access to this now, right? So that's kind of like at the, without going into any of the technology or anything else, that's what blockchains are. And who owns what stuff on the internet, right? A better way to track that is really useful for music, but it's also really useful for money. And that's where you get to this concept of cryptocurrency. So it's the taking this technology that makes it easier to track who owns what stuff on the internet and applying it to the idea of money. And that's how you wind up with something like Bitcoin. And then you can really take any of these other projects that are out there and you look at them and you say, what are you trying to do that's a better way to track who owns what stuff on the internet? Are you tracking sneakers? Are you tracking, you know, coffee beans, uh, you know, through a supply chain? What are you tracking? A blockchain can be used to do that. Doesn't always make it better. But again, compared to what we have, especially with all digital types of things, you know, with your ebooks and, you know, with uh, like licenses to things or with collectibles even on the internet, you know, game tokens, things like that. Um, that's kind of really where blockchains are right now is they're just making it easier to know who owns what stuff on the internet. And once you do that, to allow these different services that typically would never talk to each other to share that common record and make ownership on the internet across all different types of things, something that's universal and doesn't matter if you're buying it on Apple or Amazon, because at the in the background, the ownership is not attached to either of those. Honestly, that was the best description I've ever heard. And I've asked so many people to explain to me what blockchain is. And that was the best one I've heard. So we were done here. here. We're done here. As a joke, we were going to make you explain it again, but I think we're good here. So (laughs) Uh, I mean, I was ready to make you explain it again if it didn't truly make sense to me. You know what I mean? Like so many people explain it. They're like, oh, well, it's like you mine and there are only so many you can mine. And I'm like, that doesn't actually make any fucking sense. You know what I mean? Like, Tell me in a way that makes sense. But the music analogy is really good where it's like you're not really owning it's like through these services and what would it look like to own the actual song mm-hmm. I, I don't i i still have trouble with how that translates to real life objects like supply chains because that feels like what are you doing like scanning them in like I, well I so you're not wrong there honestly like the the so blockchains are best served and most useful when they're tracking who owns what and that that what is something that entirely lives on a blockchain, right? So something that's already virtual. Exactly. Yeah. Something that's a bit, but so like the closer you can get to the information already existing on the blockchain, then the better these are. And the further away you get from that. So like the sneakers example, 
now there's all these different points of weakness that can come into play, right? Because the blockchain can track who owns what stuff, but someone has to tell it whenever those transfers happen, right? So if it's something that literally happens on a blockchain, like I send a Bitcoin from me to you, well, where was that Bitcoin? It's on the blockchain. What, what actually happened when I sent it from me to you? Well, I announced to the network that I own this, this Bitcoin, but I'm reassigning it to you, right? So this is information and these are actions that happen entirely on the Bitcoin blockchain. And so there's no kind of uh, opportunities for, for someone to, to like get in the middle and lie to the blockchain about it. But you look at that sneakers example or any example, as I said, kind of the further away from the blockchain you get, now you need to have sensors that are able to tell or you have to trust that the person who's putting in the information information that says that this sneaker moved from, you know, this warehouse to this truck. Well, that, that, they, that actually like was a bad idea. Exactly. Right. So we'll, again, I, I'm pretty confident we'll eventually get there, but there's so many other technological pieces that need to come into place and not just come into place, but need to really work really, really, really well. Right. Uh, because if any of this information gets out of whack, well, your blockchain still thinks it's correct, but it doesn't it no longer corresponds to reality. Right. And then at that point, you've actually created more of a problem for yourself than not. But so long as we're talking about stuff, you know, like again, sending a Bitcoin from me to you or, you know, or something else like, again, the ebook example or the audiobook example with like an audible uh, type of service. I think those are really, really interesting use cases that could, uh, you know, have this kind of new ownership characteristic, uh, like start to work in real life a lot sooner. But yeah, you, I think your instincts are right broadly that like the real life stuff is has a lot of challenges. Okay. What exactly, though, is the blockchain. <laughs> so we're just trying to ask you all sense, the hardest questions. <laughs> in the sense that when you're like, it lives on the blockchain, like, can I visit it? Like, what is the blockchain? Yeah. So that's fair. So the, the blockchain is, it's just a list of stuff, right? And when we're talking about, and again, like, it's a little bit different um, if you look from project to project. So I'm going to speak in really big generalities. So if you're talking about something like uh, like Bitcoin, really what you're talking about is a giant list of every person who's uh, of every transfer that's ever happened in the history of the system. And so what does that mean? That means that you look back to the very, very start of when the first Bitcoin were created and people started to transfer them around. And that is the history that then everything else has been built on top of to get us to where we are today. So now, if you were going to do this in real life, this would be an insane task because you'd be saying, all right, in order to figure out where the current state of the monetary system is or how much money I have in my bank account, I'm going to look back at the history of every transaction that ever happened using the US dollar, and then I'm going to use that as a way to figure out how much money I have. That is basically what a blockchain is a history of what happened. And if you can track that history, then you can track who had any particular token at any particular time, and also who has all the tokens now, right? Who is currently in a position where they can spend those? Now, you might ask, why do we do that? That sounds insane. Yes. <laughs> because again, like, why, why, would, why would we do that? And it's because we don't trust anybody. It's because <laughs> if we were to say, all right, well, Bob has this really complete history, so let's just build our reality off, off that. Well, then now Bob has a ton of power, and all he has to do is just change a couple little things 
things and potentially give himself tons of money or potentially take money away from Ali, who he, for some irrational reason, just doesn't like. That's pretty rational, to be honest. There's a lot of reasons (laughs) that could be there. (laughs) Well, that lack of trust is really kind of at the core of these types of systems is that we don't trust anybody. And so what that means is that uh, people use their computers to work together to maintain this list where I keep a copy of the list on my computer and everybody else keeps a copy of the list on their computers. And our computers collectively maintain this list, figure out, oh, no, Bob is off. You know, he's he's actually a day behind. So we're not going to use his version and he needs to catch up. Right. And then what you get is called a consensus based reality. And a consensus-based reality is something I like to say, and I'll I'll define it for you real quick. Uh, Basically, what it means is that what most of the people participating within the network believe to be true actually is true or becomes true for all of the network, right? So it's another way, it's like a fancy way of saying like... um, uh, you know, like a majority rule, right? Or, you know, more than 51% of people get to decide what 100% of people will do. That's it's not exactly terrifying. true in Bitcoin. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you have to think about it in the context of of what our world is like right now, which is that this is already true, except that instead of, you know, like 50% of the people within the system having control over really critical things like how much money is issued, you know, when mm. our system is going to change, you know, like how, how uh, rules are implemented, how they're enforced, and who gets to decide when they change. These are already uh, decisions that are made by actually very, very small numbers of people. Right. And, and all value to some extent is imagined. Uh, absolutely. All imagined is consensus, right? Mm-hmm. Or but sorry, all, all value right. is consensus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So speaking of trust, I have a question from a friend, aka my fiance. He was um, <laughs> curious to know with Bitcoin. So the supply of Bitcoin is finite, right? That, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But what's to stop Bitcoin from just producing more Bitcoin. (laughs) What is that finite number? So the finite number is 21 million. The time that it'll take us to get there is supposed to be about 140 years from 2009 when all this started. And why won't they just continue to produce more? And this gets back to that consensus-based reality, right? Basically, the monetary policy, how fast the tokens will be issued, on what schedule, and you know, and how many of them there will ever be, is something that was set up at the very beginning of the project. And so from the beginning, the people who have come into Bitcoin and now participate in Bitcoin have that number kind of stuck in their mind, that 21 million number and that schedule. And the thing that's really interesting is that in a consensus type reality, right, or this type of system we're talking about with a blockchain, it is actually possible to change that. You would just need a majority of the network participants to actually agree to do it. And that's something that would be very, very hard is because... Bitcoin and most of these blockchain projects are very neutral, right? They have this set of capabilities that some people find useful in one way and other people find useful in another ways. So they all find it useful if they're using Bitcoin, but they might not find it useful for the same reasons, or they might have different things that they really want it to be when it grows up. And this is where you come down to this kind of coordination problem, where in a typical system, what you would do, you know, again, talking about like the U.S. dollar or something like that, is the Federal Reserve Board of Governors would meet, and there's 12 of them, and they would have a a very well-reasoned discussion about what the best thing to do for the economy is or what the best thing to do to manage the money is. And they would make that decision, and then three months later, they would announce what, what they had decided, basically, and they would put it into effect. So there's a system that you're talking about impacting billions and billions of people around the world where the decision is effectively made in private 
you know, by 12 people and then announced three months later. And they have these meetings every couple of months. So the the ability of the system to change is actually really like it can change multiple times over the course of a year, right? Bitcoin does not have that. Bitcoin just is what it is. And so if there was like, you know, like a Godzilla type event, right, where like there's this looming disaster that everybody can see that just means the end for Bitcoin. That is the type of scenario where you would see the Bitcoin community come together and be like, all right, folks, I know that we thought that this was the way we were going to do it, but actually we need to make a change. And that change could then be made. But lacking that type of disaster, you know, doomsday scenario type of thing, you're going to have lots and lots and lots of debate where some people are like, yeah, but I, why would we change it from 21 million? And then other people would be like, well, but we should change it for 21 million. And again, unless there was real consensus, there was a real agreement across all the different people who are using this technology for different things, then you would see probably nothing happen. And so what it means is that in a, in a system where there are so many more people who have the ability to say yes or no, the chance that anything substantial changes goes down dramatically, which you might say is bad because it means the system is less flexible. But the other argument is that it's better because it means that you, you know what to expect, right? You might not be happy with what to expect, but you at least know what to expect. And if you look at the system of monetary policy that Bitcoin has set up, you're talking about probably you know 50 to 100 years of no change in the monetary policy that you can expect from today. And again, if you compare that to the US dollar or any other type of system around the world that's similar to the US dollar, that, that is just not a safe assumption. I wouldn't even be willing to bet that a year out, uh, you could you know, make a decision today that requires the economy and kind of the rules around how, how, the, how everything works to stay the same. And a year out, that would still be a safe assumption. But with Bitcoin, it very much is. By spreading out the power to make these decisions amid, amongst more people, you actually get a lot less decisions because it's impossible to come together on anything that isn't such an obviously catastrophic threat that it galvanizes action. I'm reminded that our government is occasionally and increasingly often elected by a non-majority. Like the, the popular vote does not determine our administrations every so often. And, and I don't know how the Federal Reserve is appointed. I don't know if it's appointed by Congress or by a, by a president, but like the people who the majority did not elect are the ones making those decisions when it comes to the US dollar. Uh, so it is... There's another layer of non-democracy there going on with monetary policy. Yeah, let's let's not even get into the whole structure of the Federal Reserve thing because that's a whole other podcast. Sure, let's just I, not I, go I today. I know <laughs> no, but I mean to to your point again, like the the amount of power that comes from being able to make these decisions is super intense. It's Staggering. like really, really, really important. And yet these are not people who, you know, like are going out to explain their decision making on the news, right? Like these tend to be people who are very kind of cloistered and, you know, doing very well professionally themselves. And right. again, like, again, even assuming for a second that they are the best intentioned, smartest people who make the wisest decisions. The fact that they're making any decision means that they're introducing instability into the system. And that's a big uh, kind of like complaint that many people have had with our monetary policy. And it's, again, it's not just the US. The US is certainly a big example of it, but this is true around the world. And that is arguably the only reason why Bitcoin is actually interesting. 
Because in so many other ways, it is wildly inefficient. It is wildly problematic mm-hmm. as far as the, like the ability to actually serve kind of the whole world, right? Mm-hmm. Like none of those, like these are all hard problems that at some point in time will probably be solved, but we don't know when they're going to be solved. And so again, like in, in any world besides the one that we're living in today, Bitcoin would largely be a technology experiment, right? It would have solved a really, really interesting math problem in terms mm-hmm. of the, uh, the Byzantine generals problem around, you know, privacy and cryptography and stuff like that. But that's not the world we're living in. The world we're living in is one where, again, uh, you know, of all of the dollars that have ever been created over the you know entirety of the of the dollar uh, system, forty percent of them were created in the last year, right? And that's not even including the one point seven trillion or whatever we wind up getting for the final next stimulus that's coming out of the Biden administration. So, like, it's we're we're in this weird period where, like. All of the people who are supposed to act in ways that are sober and rational have for the last, call it 10, 15 years in a really intense way, abdicated that responsibility and just been like, how do we keep this thing going for another couple (laughs) of years? Right. <laughs> How do we so, keep this broken uh, yeah. shit show from not completely imploding? Just keep it, keep it on the rails for exactly. another term. So, I, I mean, like it's, I, I wish it wasn't that way. Cause honestly, like I said, like I, I'm not a monetary theorist. This is not an area that I ever expected to be interested in or be spending a substantial amount of my time in. And yet, as you look around the world, as you again, see more countries hyperinflating, I believe Nigeria just entered hyperinflation for the fourth or fifth time. Alternatives are needed because governments are trying to solve their problems by sinking their citizens. And it's like this crazy form of equilibrium that we're in. And you kind of need something that's just out of the control of the people who are very well-intentioned, but obviously making poor decisions. And that, again, is where you have a system that has all of these downsides, right? But the one upside is that ain't nobody in control. And so because (laughs) nobody's in control... That means that we actually have more protection from systems where people who are in control make routinely bad decisions. I'm fascinated by the story right now about the guy who locked $240 million of Bitcoin in his wallet and forgot the password. <laughs> yeah, it happens. It happens. So, is, there, is there no option to recover it? And also, just like, what happens to that Bitcoin if, if like, when his wallet is locked or erased? <laughs> what, and isn't, isn't the whole idea that that Bitcoin is singularly traced to him anyway? Like, shouldn't his password not even matter in a way? Oh, good, good point. So there's a couple of different things here. There's this meme in the world of crypto that where we say, you know, be your own bank, right? And effectively, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, all of these things, they allow you to do that, right? You run a little app on your computer or your phone. You can then hold all of your credentials in it. Uh, you know, so you're the things that give you access to your Bitcoins or your, to your other tokens in various places. And you don't need a bank. You, you don't need to give your assets to anybody. You can just hold them yourselves. That, on the one hand, is incredibly powerful because it means that people who have never been in a position to get a bank account, right, because banks are not interested in their business or any other reason, frankly, uh, like now they don't need the banks, right? They've been empowered to do this themselves. Now, here's that thing. <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility, as we like <laughs> to say, right? And so the, the upside is that you get complete control and it's everything is within your power. And the downside is that you get complete control and everything is within your power. And if you screw it up, there's no one to talk to but yourself. <laughs> so so that, that's the downside about it is that it makes these things that are really, really, really powerful uh, to individuals to be possible. But it doesn't change the fact that we as individuals are not used to this type of responsibility, right? When I make a payment with a credit card, I do so knowing that if I get scammed by somebody, I'm just going to call up my, my bank and I'll be like, hey, this guy scammed me. They're going to be like, oh, hang on. 
will reverse that, right? With Bitcoin, that doesn't happen. It's the whole, you know, it's it's an advantage in many ways. No one can stop you from doing anything with it. But on the on the other hand, if you don't do a good job of kind of managing your risk, then you can lose money. And I know lots of people who have done that. And I've done it myself a number of times. It is surprisingly easy to do. The good news is that if you look at a particular, you know, identity on the blockchain, you can look back and see every transaction that it's made. And so it makes it so that it's actually really, really auditable. And ironically, people think that it's good for crime. But because of this dynamic that I'm explaining, it's really terrible for crime. Like, it's <laughs> awful for crime. Right. People people, people uh, get caught all the time doing dumb stuff like this. Again, thinking that it's anonymous, but it's not. <laughs> uh, and, and here we get into anonymous versus pseudonymous, right? The concept of anonymous, right? Like, if, if we're, uh, you know, talking on a forum or something like that, and it's an anonymous forum... Uh, you know, and I say something, then, you know, you say something, and then a week later, we come back and we're talking again. Uh, you know, we would not know that we had talked a week ago, right? Anon- anonymous means there's no continuity in the identity, right? Um, so pseudonymous, spelled P-S-E-U, or, oh God, I'm probably misspelling that. Uh, no, but, I think but, you, with the P-S. I think you that. Okay, okay, yeah, <laughs> but, but with, with the P-S. Uh, so that means that I don't necessarily know what your real name is or what your like social security number is or something that tracks back to your real identity, but I know your username, right? And you know my username. And so if we talk and then we go away and then we come back a week later and we talk again, well, I would recognize your username. So Bitcoin is a pseudonymous system. Oh, so it's not necessarily related to your real identity. So if he That's can't right. remember his username and password, he's fucked. Right. And the, the other important part is that you can think about the blockchain kind of like it's a safety deposit box or it's, it's basically a, a big distributed bank that's full of safety deposit boxes. Mm-hmm. So... Again, we talked about how if you were using you a real bank... You gotta remember the password to your own safety box. Right. You, well, you have to have the key, right? You have to have the key that's but gonna then unlock it. why wouldn't you use your real identity in the sense that people could start claiming that they are someone they're not with these fake identities? Well... The choice to attach your real-life identity to one of these pseudonymous identities, right, that can make it so that it's no longer a pseudonymous identity. Let me, let me back up for a second. When you're actually looking at, a, at the blockchain and you're looking for who owns all these coins, what you're going to see are these giant 35-character-long alphanumeric garbage numbers, right, that's just like a big string of random, that looks like garbage data. That is what an identity is on the blockchain. So your name on the blockchain is this 35 long character, 35 character long string of, of basically just uh, like letters and numbers mixed together in a way that's completely non-rememberable and unpronounceable. So that that's what the identities actually look like on the blockchain. There's nothing stopping you from being like, hey, I'm going to go on Twitter and I'm going to post. Here's my address and here's who I am in real life, right? And now anybody who has that information can then take your identity on the blockchain and look back through every transaction you've ever done. And so that's kind of the the way it works there. I think I got off track here. What was your actual question? I don't know. I don't know anymore. (laughs) But I think we should move forward. But but this whole thing, it just does make me wonder, like, how much Bitcoin is locked up in people's wallets and can't be accessed? Like, is that a lot? How can we access it? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) So again, like, the, the thing to keep in mind here is that every choice that that Bitcoin has effectively made uh, is one that makes it so that we don't have to trust people. If we were willing to trust people, then I think we would do what you're saying. And we'd be like, all right, here's your name. Here are the coins that are associated with your name. 
that's it, right? It's like a distributed bank account. Uh, but then you need to have somebody who's like, and this account belongs to this person, right? Or then you have to have somebody who is going to be like, and this person has proved that they are that person. Therefore, we should give them access to these tokens, right? Or to these coins. And, that, and therein lies the problem, right? Is that we're trying to avoid concentrations of power that make it so that somebody can come in and basically just, just break the rules, even if they have the authority to break the rules. Because a bank would have done that previously by saying, okay, show me your photo ID and show me your social security number. Okay, we're going to keep that safe because we're the bank, but now we're going to let you access your account because you have proven you're you in the blockchain. We're removing that bank arbiter of information and allowing you, the person, to just say, yep, it is me and I have the key. Well, but but think about it a little bit even deeper there. Your your assumption there with that bank is that the government is providing ID and yes, the exactly. ID is something that can be trusted, right? Yes. So exactly. if you look if you look to kind of the bottom of how do we identify ourselves stack, there's always some type of trusted intermediary. Now, yes. one of the things that's really novel about uh, the way that blockchains and cryptocurrency work is that they use cryptography instead of a, a process like that, right? Mm -hmm. And all cryptography means in this context is that your uh, computer or your wallet or your app or whatever has a little secret. And that secret, when put through some math uh, equations, then allows you to access the thing that you want to access. So you're not just saying anything. You're proving it in a way that's mathematically incontrovertible that you mm -hmm. do it. And, and you're doing it not to a person, but you're doing it to the distributed blockchain itself, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to this giant list and you're saying, unlock my stuff and here's my proof. And the only thing you need to prove that is, again, that little secret, that little piece of information that only you have. So that, again, it's, it's, it's this attempt to get away from any of the uh, of the power kind of problems that emerge from these systems and again it's wasn't the first system to attempt it but bitcoin was the system that got it right and again if you look at the value of the blockchain today you know if somebody could break the technology that's brought us to this point they would have almost a billion dollars worth or sorry they would have almost a trillion dollars uh worth of reward for doing that and so the fact that that hasn't happened, the fact that we can still look and we say, oh, the Bitcoin, you know, like there weren't a million Bitcoin created today and, you know, uh, and given to, you know, Mark Andreessen or something like that, right? Like that proves to us that the system can't be broken, at least yet with current technology, because otherwise it would and someone would have a clean trillion dollars. So let's shift gears a little bit. And um, we wanted to know, you know, how does crypto relate to the recent GameStop fiasco, if at all? I mean, crypto relates to the GameStop fiasco insofar as what we've been talking about, right? Like, there is so much power in the ability to decide when the rules apply, when the rules don't apply, and when the rules should change. And that is, in a nutshell, what we saw happen with GameStop and Wall Street bets. People who are not supposed to be winning the game, uh, you know, again, like the the plebes fighting, you know, the the hedge funds. That's a, that's one where we know who the winner is supposed to be. It's going to be the hedge funds. And so, at the point that you start to see the game go against them, the question is, well, who has the ability to change the rules, and who benefits from changing the rules? And that is exactly what we saw uh, roll out there was that the rules were changed. Uh, trading was allowed in one direction only, 
from the you know where where you could only sell these positions, which was to the benefit of the of the hedge funds that have been betting against it, and you could not buy these positions from most of the retail type uh, trading applications that were out there. And so, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency does offer a better system, but it's kind of we go back to basics, right? We say, all right, well, what's the point of a blockchain? It's to track who owns what on the internet. The way that the current uh, financial market structure works, and I am not an expert on this, is very, very, very centralized, right? There's this one company, this one company barely anybody ever knows about or talks about called DTCC that is the legal owner of all shares that trade across these different exchanges. And in fact, what's being traded is who owns what within DTCC or who DTCC owes um, you know, what, what stock to. And so again, like that's an incredible position of power. And if you think about the purpose that they're serving, they're trying to be a blockchain, right? Yeah, they're trying right. to be, they're trying to be a blockchain, but it was done. It was invented at a time, uh, when this was the best available solution. But today, again, with real blockchains that have real distributed ownership characteristics, and again, don't just allow anyone to change the rules because a trade is going against them. Uh, you know, like that, that's where we are today. So there are definitely possibilities in the future that come from blockchains, but it's all around that. It's about throwing out the corrupted, you know, way that we track ownership of things now and all the power that imbues to people who really don't deserve it um, and don't do a good job of managing it. And instead putting it into a system where nobody d gets the power because nobody deserves it and nobody manages it. We all just play on a level playing field. Well, we're, we're going to do a future episode about this, but uh, Dogecoin, we're a comedy <laughs> podcast. So we'd love to just hear, you know, it, do you think, is is it possible? Are people trying to make Dogecoin the next GameStop? And do you see a world in which that's, that's possible? <laughs> Dogecoin is a project that has come up. I think this is the third time I've seen it come up in this bubbly type of way. So this happens with Bitcoin too, right? The market goes in cycles. You get big, big highs, and then you get sort of long periods of time where the price is low and kind of boring. And with Dogecoin, that same thing happens, but it happens for a different reason, which is kind of funny. Dogecoin is and always has been a joke. Uh, even when it was first created, the people who were creating it did not take it seriously. There is nobody left who works on it as of like 2016. That may be changing now that the price is back up, but, uh, but like, it's not like this project got, got big because, you know, because like there was really an amazing technology there or something like that. It got big because it was cheap and because it's funny, right? Just like this show. Exactly. <laughs> exactly the same. Isn't it true that it's like the creator's worst nightmare that it actually has any value? So in the very early days of Bitcoin, the way that you would create another new cryptocurrency is you would take Bitcoin or something that had already taken Bitcoin and you would just copy it and you would just like change the name and change one or two numbers and then you would you would kind of roll it out and that was it, right? And so this was, you know, like the the Dogecoin story is actually a really interesting one because it's like the community that surrounded it has always been so much fun. Uh, that they've done all these cool projects that have really been uh, like uh, built off of the opportunity of holy crap! Now, now the Dogecoin that I had—that's a joke—is actually worth something. So they've sponsored NASCAR uh, cars in the past. They sent the Jamaican bobsled team to the Olympics, I think, in 2016. <laughs> like, I I'm not joking. Like, these people were absolutely hilarious. And it, again, like, there's so much about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin—they can get really stodgy and you know, like, oh, this is the new digital gold. We're fighting monetary oppression. Be your own bank. Blah blah blah. Right. And Dogecoin just never had that problem. Dogecoin has always just been like, this is ridiculous. What else can we do that's ridiculous? Right. <laughs> like, let's lead into it. 
you know, I love that Dogecoin has its own uh, (laughs) flavor as you just described it. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about how these communities are functioning and thriving. There's just like so many different projects that are out there. And it is because of the permissionless nature of this technology, right? Uh, Anybody who wants to start uh, a token can just do it, right? They can copy the code that's already available in the open source. They can change the name to whatever they want. You guys could have a coin if you wanted to. Two girls, one coin. I'm already working on Bitcoin. Um, it's mine <laughs> by being a total bitch. So we can talk about that after. <laughs> yeah. So um, the thing that's different about perhaps um, cryptocurrency communities or blockchain communities from just like the stuff that you normally deal with is that these communities have their own form of value. And that form of value both acts as a way to sort of brag about how much influence you have within, um, you know, within like a structure. Like there are projects where the ability to make decisions is turned into a token called a governance coin, right? And so if you have a lot of this governance coin, then you have a lot of votes and you can have more control over the system. In other ways, it's just about memes, right? It's just about like, what's the funniest kind of way that I can connect this? But because everything has this tokenized element, everything kind of has the potential to be financially, you know, really good or really bad. And so I'd say if anything, it's like a kind of amplified version of what we see on the rest of the internet, because not only are people's feelings involved, but their money is involved. And getting it right means that you're rich and getting it wrong means that you're broke. Okay. So, you know, to bring us home, what are the other major ways in which you think it's going to change the way we live, work and play? Uh, You know, we've been talking about ownership throughout this uh, podcast. And I think that that for me really is the important part is that the way that we do ownership on the internet made sense 20 years ago, but it's just so stupid today. And like, it, it's it like, it actually, it actually bothers me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, like I uh, like an unreasonable amount because again, like this was not possible 20 years ago, but it was possible 10 years ago. And it's certainly possible today. And I spent a lot of my time trying to figure out why these things don't actually snap into real life in ways that can actually impact us. And it's because the people who have the ability to make this stuff actually manifest in real life tend to have the least incentive to do it. We talk about disruptive technology a lot. And the important question is who is being disrupted? Most of the time, it's the people who are making all of the money in the current system, right? The, the, the reason why things stay, keep the, you know, the lousy way to do things like banks, for example, um, you know, like banks have been able to send transfers uh, you know, of money from one bank to another almost instantly for a long time, but they have no reason to do it. When I first got into the space, it, it, uh, you know, like eight years ago, it routinely took between five and seven days to wire money from anyone to anyone else. And I did a little bit of research at the time into why that is, because it didn't seem like it, you know, in 20, 2010, that actually made any sense. Um, and it was because uh, every because they transferred from bank to bank to bank and then hold it overnight at each one. And while they're holding it overnight, they collect interest exactly. on the money that's being held uh, in the bank. So you have tried to send money from someplace and six banks got in the way and said, well, I'd actually like to earn a couple of pennies off of that before we actually deliver it. And so it means that you get worse service. They earn money that they don't need, you know, and certainly have no kind of rights to except under a crazy system. And the only reason why it's acceptable is because there is no alternative, right? In a situation where there's only bad choices, people will accept a bad choice. But in a situation where there's a lot of bad choices, but one choice where you're like, oh, actually, that's a much better choice. Well, they're always going to take the better choice. 
And so this what that's really what kind of uh, blockchains and Bitcoin and all of these things represent, to me at least, is not so much a technology, but a form of unstoppable competition that forces anything that is just doing things the way they've always been done, because that's the way we always do it, to actually justify itself and be like, and this is the reason why it's the right choice for you, not just for us. Where's the tipping point? Where's the incentive? And I love your Amazon music technology, or excuse me, your Amazon music example here, meaning if I buy a track from Amazon, Amazon has no incentive to let me play that track on Apple Music because those are competing companies. So when will there be a market incentive for Amazon to accept a blockchain transaction because currently there is none and and so maybe it's the maybe it's a tipping point of like hey everyone uses blockchain these days so you have to accept blockchain otherwise it won't be you know you you will make no money so and perhaps I answer my own question but then my 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 adjacent question which I think is related I believe and get excited about everything you just said. But I think if you ask Joe or Jane mainstream about Bitcoin, even people who are knowledgeable or excited about it, they they think about it as a commodity where it's like, I'm going to buy it low and then I'm going to own it and make money and sell it high or whatever. And it's about getting rich or it's about stock trading basically, but it's not about um, decentralization or uh, bypassing the banks, which is the actual intention of this technology. So like, what, in your opinion, needs to happen in our society, in our discourse, to change this perception, to to turn this like, hey, let's trade, trade commodities and flip Bitcoin into, oh no, this is the default way we pay for everything. And wow, it's way better. Because remember back in the olden times when banks used to take interest on every fucking thing we did? Like, is it just a matter of time or is there something we should be doing or saying differently about this stuff? Okay, so I think you're totally right that um, this is a tipping point game. And we actually saw this in crypto already. A couple of months ago, PayPal came out and said, hey, we're going to turn on Bitcoin buying and selling and a bunch of other things, right? Mm -hmm. PayPal didn't do that because they're like, hey, this is an amazing new technology that we should get on with, right? (laughs) They did it because their competitors were, were, had already done it. Square Crypto and a number of other, a number of other, uh, Robinhood, for example, um, had already made it possible for people to do this. And they had grown and seen massive spikes in their revenue because of it. So it, you, you go from this point of why on earth would we do that to, okay, guys, I guess we better do it because otherwise we're actually missing out. Like a mom and pop shop saying, we don't accept credit cards. And then literally everyone only use, uses credit cards. No one carries cash anymore. So they will literally not make money if, unless That's they right. put a terminal in. Right. It's, it's like that, but, um, but like at a systemic level, right? In the yeah. very earliest days when I was just getting started with Bitcoin and just started my podcast uh, back in 2013, uh, there were no places that you could spend Bitcoin at all. Mm-hmm. Like right. you, couldn't, right. you couldn't buy it anywhere. You couldn't spend it. The first company that came on was this tiny, tiny company called Bees Brothers Honey. Um, mm-hmm. Out of New Hampshire, I think. And it was like this, you know, like a, a couple of, you know, like uh, middle... Like, middle school age kids. You know? Okay. Middle schoolers selling honey. Got it. That's the way to one up your bank sale, so, I suppose. Well, but but the point was is that they, but was that by accepting it, 
suddenly they went from being effectively nothing on a commercial scale to having more orders that they could deal with because there were all these people who were who had Bitcoin and no place to spend it. And so in the early days, that's kind of what it was like is we saw companies that would come out increasingly at, an, at a higher you know, rate as time went on who would say, hey, and now we accept Bitcoin. And they would get a rush of people who have Bitcoin and wanted to spend them and wanted to support that ecosystem. And over the course of about a year, that became really, really boring. And then we went through this period of about five years where people would announce nobody really cared, wasn't really a competitive advantage. Nobody's really forcing you to do it. And then increasingly over the last couple of years, we've seen again, like the, the squares got involved, the Robin Hoods got involved. And now that you've, you've kind of passed that tipping point, right? Where now the gravity is in favor of, well, why don't we? allow people to do this. We're just leaving money on the table. And so that, that I think is like a type of uh, progression we're going to see over and over again in the space. Now, I want to talk about um, the corporate adoption case. We were talking about um, Apple and, uh, and Amazon. Like, why would they ever do this? That seems to be crazy. And I actually agree with you on that. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. There's one industry right now where I think that this is, there is a very meaningful chance that we may see a push for this by a very, very large corporate. And that actually is in gaming. Um, and I don't know how much you guys cover gaming or, or really any of that. I'll just go very briefly through this. Valve uh, is a company that did the original Half-Life games way back when, some of the earlier FPSs, um, Team Fortress, and they started a platform called Steam which over the course of about 10 years became the platform to distribute games on um, if you were doing PC gaming. Um, so they had not something, not, uh, like a, a market monopoly insofar as like, they weren't actually stopping competition, but they were so popular that they had an effective monopoly. And then uh, a couple of years later, this uh, company, uh, Epic games, which uh, got its start creating the original unreal tournament and things like that way back in the day, uh, had this game Fortnite, which just was an absolute out of control revenue hit and started generating so much money for them that they said, you know what? We're actually going to try to compete with Steam using some of this money that we have spilling out of our game Fortnite. And so they started to, um, to really try and compete by giving away games for free, basically, so long as people held them on their platform. And you can see the analogy here, right, which is that now you have two different platforms where people own games, but they don't. But if you own a game on Steam, you don't own the game on Epic. And if you own the game on Epic, you don't own the game on Steam. So now this is where I think that the, the kind of uh, game theory starts to work in favor of a, of a blockchain. Neither side is really happy with what's going on, because on the one hand, uh, Epic is effectively undercutting the entire market by offering games for free. And on the other hand, um, Steam still has a dominant position within the space. And so the Epic CEO came out on Twitter maybe six months or nine months ago at this point and said, hey, why does somebody just own a game on Steam or just own a game on Epic? Why don't we just make it so that if they own a game, then they own a game? And you think about that from a game theory standpoint. And from, from Epic's standpoint, it's great because they're arguing on behalf of the customer, right? The customers want to own games everywhere. They don't want to have to pay attention to what platform it's on. The only people who it's bad for are people who run platforms who would like to have that type of monopoly relationship. But for Steam, again, like for, for Valve to come out and be like, no, we don't want that because uh, we would rather maintain our monopoly. Well, like that's like the worst possible optics that you could generate as a company that has a monopoly, right? Saying, no, 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 we'd rather just not, we'd rather not do right by the players and continue to have our monopoly because we're making a lot of money off of that. And so in practice, that doesn't happen either. Now, the question is, will this escalate to the point 
where they're both like, okay, fine, I don't trust you, you don't trust me, but we agree that this needs to be a thing, and we'll use a blockchain as, as a way to track that without either of us having control. Um, so like, that's the part that still needs to happen. But I think all the fundamentals are in place there. So you kind of need not just a monopoly situation, but you need an incumbent who's well-funded and has the ability to really kind of deploy that argument where, hey, we're fighting on behalf of our users. Why aren't you to the other guy, right? Yeah, I'm wondering if it's ever happened in, I hate to say like in history, but like we have those incumbents in other technology. We have the Facebooks and Googles and Amazons of the world who have staked their claim on on ownership and content. And they repeatedly abuse their customers and say, fuck you, we don't care about the optics, we'll do as we please. So I, I'm trying, it's hard for me to envision a world where they care so much about, oh, this guy's doing it, so we have to do it too, or, w- rather than just doubling down on you're either an Apple person or you're a Google person. And the end, You'll, we will never, we will never interchange, intertwine our Right. ownership things, you know, I mean, it's definitely still an assumption at this point. Like, I think yeah. that's kind of the the big takeaway for me is that we hope that by providing an alternative, we hope that by there being these sort of dynamics and we hope that as people become more educated about how, you know, I mean, like just how ownership works, right? Like yeah, that there's not a better even talking way. about money. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I don't think people, yeah, I don't think people know. I don't think pe- it, the tipping point I think has to come from the consumer of like, oh, I can get my money or my music or my ebooks in a better way and use it anywhere. Why would I ever buy from Amazon again? Because it's so much better over here. I don't, is that going to be an incumbent or is that going to be a third party who's like, Hey, everybody, we're the cool, we're the cool kids where everything's distributed. Well, I mean, and that's where we are now, right? Like that's where we are literally right now, because we've gone from the, like the, the journey of crypto over the last eight or nine years has been from this really weird, super fringe, don't understand it, don't care about Mm -hmm. it thing to now something that is increasingly at the center of our world. Right. And that's a It's partly because of the technology and it's mostly just because of the way our world has gone. Um, So, you know, whether or not it does, like we're going to see. And frankly, I'm really excited. Uh, You know, the idea of like a better system, just like a, you know, like when we use credit cards today, right? We're like, oh, these are convenient. They're so fast. But again, like that system we were talking about where it takes seven days for, you know, a bank transfer to go from one bank to another. That's the world that credit cards are built on. It's just layer upon layer upon layer of improvements and conveniences and, you know, insurance services uh, that make it feel like it's, it's better. And so we've taken this terrible antiquated system that's, you know, 70 or 80 years old at this point, and it works well today. And so now we're saying, all right, well, but let's build, let's rebuild that whole infrastructure on a foundation that isn't terrible, right? That does have all of these things that we like about it built into it. And then where can we get with that, right? And I bet you it takes a lot less time than the 70 or 80 years it's taken us to get to this point with the traditional (laughs) financial system to have something that is not just equivalent, but far and away better in many ways. Okay, so what I'm hearing is TLDR, let's unplug the internet, start over with it decentralized, build it back. (laughs) Uh, Do you like it? And now we're in an episode of Silicon Valley. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Allie. Thank you, Matt. Honestly, I really did not get the investment decisions that I was looking for. (laughs) There was a question you were going to ask, Allie, I think that we didn't get to, which is like the fact that he's talking to us lay people. Does that mean it's a bubble that's going to pop soon? (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, if people like us know about it, if I own crypto, it's a bubble that's going to pop, right? Isn't that how that works? Yeah. (laughs) Well, not if it becomes, quote unquote, real money and and stops being a commodity, which we were talking about right at the end. Like that's the the hope of this is that it becomes a, a new way forward and not like, hey, you're getting in on crypto, you're getting in on Bitcoin and Litecoin, like that's the bullshit bubble shit that's kind of yep. ruining it. And also I, don't I get in on Litecoin, honestly. Yep. My inv- it's just I just lost money there, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ali, how long how long have you been investing? It's been I a, bought like, a couple years. A, a little bit of Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin in 2018. So I was not like early. Like I think it was already, a, it was like there was a lot of news about how it was like surpassing the $10,000 mark. And that's when I bought in 2018. Mm-hmm. Then it plummeted and I was like, what the fuck? But that now it's rising. So it's sort of fun. But, uh, and then I bought <laughs> a little bit of Filecoin last week because, I mean, literally I bought like 50 bucks. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna buy 50 bucks and mm-hmm. maybe I just lit 50 bucks on fire, but maybe I'm like getting in early on the next one and in 10 yeah. years it's gonna be worth a ton of money. So that's what I did. I'm basically gambling. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah. that's the stock market. But uh, are you yeah. up even like $1 since 2018 or or no? Oh, yeah. No, it, okay. my Bitcoin has like uh, quadrupled. Fantastic. Don't forget your password, Allie. And my my (laughs) Ethereum has as well. Like I, yeah, for sure. Fun note for listeners: Allie logged into our podcast recording platform with her password. I'm a really uh, secure. Like her her username was her password. So now secure. We can grab. We can get in there and grab. You can get anything of mine, honestly. No, I I went back and changed that. Did you not? (laughs) Well, you can trust us. It's fine. I already knew what it was. You You probably know what mine is. Knows my password. But um, yeah, no, you know, it's like a reflex to like unlock your laptop. So I just like put in that <laughs> password and Zencaster. Uh, I remind myself of those idiots when it was like, I don't know, like Jay Leno, something really old. They like did man on the street stuff where they asked people a lot of questions about like where they lived and their home address. And then like, what's your password? And people being like, oh, it's my home address. Plus, so like you're basically getting to the point that everyone had revealed their password on air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. So as we said, we're going to have a future episode, we believe, on Dogecoin, which will be fun, funny, and informative. Um, but we just, as always, want to hear what you think. So feel free to tweet at me at June Bugger, J-O-O-N-B-U-G-G-E-R. I'm at Allie Gold, A-L-L-I-G-O-L-D. Email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. Also, uh, leave us a voicemail, text us, you know, just get on that phone. Uh, if you want to be in touch with us, that phone number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. And join our Discord server. Uh, we do take questions for interviews from there. Sometimes we'll pop in early to let you know who we're interviewing that day or that week. So uh, we'd love to see you there. Discord.gg slash 2G1P. Ali, if they want to contribute some money to our show what do they do send us your bitcoin you can venmo me at no uh so you can please 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 visit patreon.com slash 2g1p awesome well good luck with your investments this week everybody uh and we will see you next two girls one podcast is hosted by jennifer jamula and allison goldberg then daisy chained to other podcasts in an elaborate crypto mining operation, I mean produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. 
the podglomerate. A Sonic Universe. Jerking it with a bud.